Smart TVs are having a moment with strong growth in penetration and usage. Does this mean streaming sticks and boxes are on the way out? TV Rev's Alan Walk joins us to discuss the issues. edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News, and that was Colin Dixon from End Screen Media right there at the beginning. Hey, Colin, how's everything? Oh, doing really well, Will. Uh, busy week last week, busy week this week, uh, but um, I'm really excited. This week we have a special guest who we'll get to in a little bit, but first I think we're going to do our usual top couple of news stories we saw this week. We are, and you're going to get us started. Amazon this week announced some TVs. Actually, we're recording Thursday morning, and they just announced this morning that they are releasing two sets of TVs powered by the Fire TV interface. The two that they're releasing are the Omnia Fire TV Omnia series. There are five models in that, and the Fire TV 4S series. And they're all powered by the Fire TV interface, and that's that's what they're doing. Yeah, and I would say, and I'm guessing you'll agree with this, that there's absolutely nothing surprising about Amazon launching its own line of TVs. I don't think so at all. It makes perfect sense to me, Will, for them to have done this. They're a, you know, they're a powerful retailer. They'll be able to shift a lot of these things. And t- getting people tied into the Amazon interface through Fire TV, through these TVs. Well, they're doing it with the Fire TV stick. And now you can skip that and go straight to the, the, to the TV. And all that great data that they're going to be collecting on consumers, boy. And I have to say one other thing quickly, Colin, on this before I talk about the story that hit my radar. This is just another reminder to me. And we have sought on this act so many, more, so many times in the past. But... Where is Apple in this? This was supposed to be <laughs> Apple's play. Apple was supposed to have a TV, and instead they're still selling $180 minimum Apple TVs with a 1% market share, and Amazon has completely lapped them, completely left them in their dust, don't you think? They have in so many ways in this market. Uh, uh. So, yep. But uh, as, as our listeners know, that's something you've been hoping would happen, and I have never believed that they would well, do it. Well, you're right. But yeah, you, you turned out to be right. And I think you were, and I give you credit for that. I think Apple, you know, they came to a determination at some point that they did not want to play in the advertising-supported ecosystem. And once you cut that out, forget it. There's no way you can, yeah. you can there's no way you can make a TV. But of course, Amazon now, aspires to be a major, major player in advertising and in CTV advertising. So it makes perfect sense for them to be in this space. Okay, so what's, what, did, what caught your eye? Well, speaking of advertising, what caught my eye is that NBC, uh, it was reported this week, is now saying that it has advertisers willing to pay up to $6.5 million for a 2022 Super Bowl ad, and that is 18% higher than the Super Bowl spots were sold for in 2021, and that NBC and NBC said that it has fewer than five unsold 30-second spots remaining for the February 2022 game. And um, that just reminded me of a piece that I wrote way back in 2006, 
entitled the $10 million Super Bowl ad. And I think that we're on a trajectory toward that. So, you know, just to put it in context, the um, ads back in 2007 for the Super Bowl NBC was selling were two and a half million bucks. Uh, now, let's say they're six and a half million. That's a six and a half percent compound annual increase, which is three and a half, three and a half times the rate of inflation over that 15 year period, which was just less than 2%. So if Super Bowl rates continue to go up by an average of 6.5% per year, then Super Bowl ads will cross the 10 million threshold in about seven years, give or take. But I actually think they're gonna happen, it's gonna happen sooner than that. And I wrote about this today, we're recording on Thursday, because I think in addition to the expanded reach that online and video has given, to Super Bowl ads and the increase in brand building. I think the best is yet to come for Super Bowl ads. And this ties right back into the Amazon uh, Omnia TV that we we're just talking about, because the big game changer for CTV is when it becomes full funnel. And you can watch an ad on the Super Bowl or for that matter on a fast service or anything else. And with one click or with one voice command, be able to convert right then and there. In other words, subscribe me to Disney Plus, yeah. buy me a Peloton, uh, start my DoorDash subscription. The list goes on and on. When a CTV advertiser can convert right then and there and really play at the mid to lower funnel, I think the whole CTV advertising business gets completely uncorked and we're admittedly still a ways away from that a lot of pieces have to fall into place but you know my hunch is that the smart folks there at amazon and at roku and other places all see that future and are working hard 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 to get there as quickly as possible yeah yeah well i love that they they get big increases for a diminishing audience super bowl audience was down about 10 percent last year it's down, oh, I'm just looking at some, some data from 2015. Oh, my goodness. It's almost, uh, what, 20, 20 million, something like that down yeah. over that period of time. But they keep getting more money. That's uh, pretty pretty amazing. Lowest lowest audience since 2007, and yet it'll still keep going up 6.5% each year or more if you you know buy into the full funnel thesis. But anyway, um, I think that's it on our news, right? I'd like to introduce Alan Walk. He is co-founder and lead analyst at TV Rev. Welcome, Alan. Oh, thank you, Colin. Welcome to you and Will. Thanks for having me. Great. Thanks, Alan. Welcome. And you've just released a new report on the ascendance of smart TVs, right? Uh, so why don't you start off by, first of all, tell us about the report. Give us the 50,000 foot view uh, of the report. Okay, it's called the Emerging Smart TV Ecosystem, and it is about just that. So suddenly you have the smart TVs are having a moment, the smart TV OEMs. You have especially the big three, Samsung, Vizio, and LG, are in a position now where they own their own content and have their own fasts where they have you know over 100 channels each. They are selling advertising off of those fasts, and then they are measuring it with their own ACR data. And they are really creating sort of a marketplace and an alternative for people who are looking for CTV. 
one of the things that they have going on that's pretty cool is because of the ACR, they can monitor what's being watched on linear and on streaming. And that kind of gives them a, a heads up. Um, you also have companies like like Roku and Amazon in the space, you know, also sort of working with manufacturers on that. But these big three are unique. The other big thing that we focus on is that they've changed their interface. They have really done a good job of getting themselves to the point where they're at the same level with Roku and, and Amazon in terms of how easy it is to use. So, Alan, let me just follow that up, if I may. Um, I thought, first of all, congrats on the report. It's a really nice piece of work and certainly very relevant for anybody in the industry trying to understand where the uh, smart TV OEMs fit in. So congrats on that. I'd like to just ask you um, if you could give us, and you started touching on this, but just give us kind of the three or four key takeaways from the report. And maybe before you do that, can you just level set us by telling us give or take what the total market share of smart TVs, the big three have? Um, it's hard. It's sort of hard to know in terms because there's no actual sort of, you know, source for it. But roughly they have about 60 percent of the market between them. Um, if you figure that Roku TCL TVs are probably about. 30% and then the other manufacturers are say 10 to 15%. So somewhere in there, so say somewhere between 50, 55 to 65% of the market between them. Is that US? Yes, that's US market. Right. Right. Because say Vizio is, you know, Vizio is not in Europe or Asia at this point. So cool. And then um, again, can we just circle back and have you share with us the three or four key takeaways from the report? Yeah, I mean, the biggest takeaway is that we are predicting that the market is just, you know, that the market's going to grow, that suddenly we're going to, over the next five years, that we're going to see a 4x increase, 4.5x increase in the amount of revenue that is coming in. And that's, you know, from advertising, you know, for the most part. Um, and that's just going to be huge. We, part of that is just a lot more money in general is going to be moving to the streaming market. And as a result, advertising going to be looking to the smart TV OEMs. One of the big things that we heard from a lot of brands that we talked to and agencies that they really like about advertising with the smart TV OEMs is that they are able to do frequency capping on their inventory. In other words, they can see what someone's watched on streaming and on linear and know, okay, if this person, have, this household has watched 20 Pepsi ads, don't serve them a 21st. Um, and it's sort of realizing that people watch, don't just watch linear and don't just watch streaming. It's sort of somewhere in between. Um, so that's, that's probably the biggest takeaway into the advertising and the fact that it just exists, that they have this ad market with their fast, where they're able to provide really strong measurement because they're able, you know, they, they have their own ACR data and they control it and they're able to do a lot more with that, with measurement because they own the hardware and the software. So they're able to build a more complete profile of their viewers, right? And that's, that's why they can do a better job uh, targeting the ads and in capping them exactly exactly and in measuring them too so and all excuse me and all of this uh alan leads you to uh say really i think right up front in the report 
that you feel smart TVs are quote unquote having a moment. So that's feels weighty to have a moment. (laughs) Tell us more about that. Well, in a lot of, so if you, the report starts off, we took a little bit about the history of this, of smart TVs. And, and for a long time, especially the interface was not a priority. They had never had to, TV manufacturers had never had to, to deal with interface before. That was always something that was on the cable set-top box, right? They just had, you know, at best, they, they let you sort of go through the channels. And suddenly there was this, this interface issue and... You couldn't up if it you know there were a bunch of new apps. You couldn't update the apps on them. It was just very tough to work. So as a result, you had this sort of growth of dongles of Roku and Amazon because that was just a much easier way to do it, and you were able to update. So move you know moving on now, they they've sort of remedied that. And we, we're starting to see a lot of people are going or sort of ditching the dongle or not using it and using the smart TV's own interface which now has all the flixes and, like I said, their own fasts and other people's fasts, too. And that's getting them a lot of original viewing. And so people are saying, hey, we, you know, we should take a look at this. And the fact that all three of them are sort of doing the same thing at the same time. And they, one of the reasons that they're doing that is because of Roku, that they looked at Roku and said, hey, they created a really good business here. And they have this deal with TCL where they're creating a lot of Roku you know, TV sets that have the Roku interface in them and we should do this too. And then suddenly they really almost could have had the role of the MVPDs in the old ecosystem in a sense, right? That if you look at it, they're the ones who are sort of controlling the content at some level. They're handling the advertising, they're measuring the viewing. So they, it's even a you know, bigger role, but they're at some level, the gatekeeper in all this. So you say that they're having a moment. It seems to me like there's a lot of Roku envy among smart TV manufacturers, as you as you articulated just there. And they're really pushing the boat out here. I mean, Vizio is really reorienting their business around their uh, their watch interface and their their watch free yeah. interface in particular. Uh, so do you think that this is really what's going on here? Because it creates attention, doesn't it? Create attention between the folks that are sort of running that business of selling ads and the content side of things and the people that are building the, 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 t- the TVs themselves with wafer-thin margins and all of the rest. Doesn't it create attention inside the companies there? A little bit, but it also helps because it gives them an additional revenue stream that they can use to keep the costs down. Right. One of the most interesting things about TV sets, and especially in the U.S., is that they are now the least expensive screen in the house by a lot. Like you can get a really good 55 inch TV for under five hundred dollars now, you know, whereas you're looking at a thousand dollars for a smartphone and about that much money for a tablet. So, you know, a lot of people had predicted that the TV set would go away. And even, you know, as recently as four or five years ago. A good HDTV was a lot of money, which is one of the reasons people thought it would go away. So having these additional revenue streams helps them keep the cost of the actual set down. Alan, I'd like to pick up on the point that you're just making a couple minutes ago about the the so-called dongles. And this is the, um, you know, these are the Fire TV sticks, the Roku sticks, the Google Chromecast, et cetera, of the world. Um, I'd like to ask you first if it's possible and I don't know if this data exists either, but 
Of the entire market for, I call them connected TVs, so any TV that's connected to the internet, what percentage of those are connected via a dongle versus via a smart TV specifically? And let's just put aside for the moment TVs that may be connected via a PlayStation or any other Blu-ray player or anything like that. Just focusing on total market share for all dongles and total market share for all uh, smart TVs out of the entire CTV pie. I mean, it's it's interesting because I've seen stats all over the place. I've seen stats that have you know smart TVs at seventy percent. I've had I've seen stats that have them at thirty. It seems on average it's about a fifty fifty split. You could go ten percent in either direction, but it really depends who's doing the math. I'm, I mean, I'm curious. Have you guys seen have you guys seen different numbers? Yeah, I mean, I I, I track Bruce Leishman's yeah. numbers, and um, it's it's pretty close. Yeah. But definitely, there are more smart TVs out there now than more people using smart TVs than are using uh, dongles. But it's pre- it, it is pretty close. Yeah. I'll dig the numbers out here as we talk, and I'll, I'll while I'll while you're digging, that. Colin. Let me, Alan. Let me ask the follow-up question, which is, you know, as you said a few minutes ago, and, and as the report says, you seem, you know, it seems like you feel pretty strongly that dongles are on their way out, and yeah, I just. You know, I think, Colin, you and I have had this discussion in the past, but I'm not recalling exactly what your position on this is. But my sense of things is that if you can buy a dongle for 30 or 40 or $50 versus, as you just said, Alan, say a 55-inch, a new 55-inch smart TV for 450 to 500 that's like a you know 10x increase to bring that new TV in versus just putting a stick into that five-year-old smart TV that is otherwise working completely fine. I mean, I think about household budgets, particularly in this time of COVID and just there being so much economic uncertainty for so, so many people. It feels to me like dongles should have a pretty long lifespan ahead of them. But but you, I, it, if I'm reading the report correctly, you feel otherwise. Maybe you could just say a little bit more about your feeling about dongles versus smart TVs. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I agree with you, Will, and I think our, our point was that it's a, it's a slow fade, right? That as people get a new, when, when people buy a new TV, they're going to look at it and go, you know what, the interface on this is really good. Like, why am I sticking my old, why am I sticking my old Roku in here, my three-year-old Roku in here, when I have a brand new Vizio or Samsung or LG TV that maybe even has more bells and whistles, so I think it's sort of a long, slow fade. And you can see you know, that's why Roku and Amazon are looking to get themselves as the operating system in smart TVs because they're realizing you know, the TV is also a bigger investment. So once I'm, once I'm committed, I'm committed, whereas the dongle, you know, I can always go, oh, look, Amazon has you know, Fire TV sticks on sale for $10 during Prime Week. I'll just replace everything. So. I think you know that it's a slow fade, and also the more, the more recent models of all the smart TVs are the ones that you really would use instead of the the dongle because those have the really you know the slick updated interface. If you have a six year old smart TV, not much you can do about that interface. Right, and um, yeah, I just looked up the numbers, and it is pretty close. It's sixty four percent, according to yeah. Bruce Leishman, sixty four percent have a smart TV, and fifty five percent. 
penetration uh, for the for the dongles. But this is really this is really interesting, right? Because you say it's a it's a slow fade. One of the one of the key points you make um, in the report, which I really enjoyed reading, was your your justification for the three big three to work together. And I really read this with interest because I see absolutely no motivation today for those three to work together. So, so talk us through that. That's a really interesting part of the paper. Well, that's something we heard a lot again from you know from brands and from agencies that they you know their attitude is hey we're looking for scale, and individually these guys don't really have this sort of you know massive national scale that we want, like, yeah, we'll definitely advertise with them. They have, yeah, they have tens of millions of, of viewers, but could you imagine if all, if I could buy all three of them at once, that would basically solve so many of my problems because I'm buying, you know, 60, 70% of the country at that point and, and I'm golden. So that was, that was the thought. And also that they don't really compete with each other. Cause you know, like we were just saying that people replace their TVs with like every six or seven years. So if I have a new Samsung, it's not like someone's going to convince me, oh, ditch that and go out and quickly, you know, buy an LG, even though your Samsung's only one year old. It's just it's not happening. So people are sort of either in one camp or the other. So they're not really competing with each other. So if they actually coordinate and they also and they and they have very similar features, they all have this great ACR data about their users. So it doesn't have to be maybe a single marketplace where they're all sort of combining, but just giving people the ability to do one buy across all three. Alan, how do you post the odds of th- that scenario coming to life? Um, like 50-50. <laughs> um, I think it's in their interest. I mean, I think that's an overall problem in the streaming industry that everybody sort of wants to go it alone. It's not just the smart TV OEMs. It's all of the, you know, all of the sort of DSPs and SSPs and all of the you know, all these sort of, you know, walled gardens that everybody set up and all basically what it leads to is frustration on the brand and agency side because they're so used to sort of that one click with Nielsen. And also it, it's true, it's very difficult for them to do any kind of apples to apples comparisons to sort of, you know, to make a buy that where they know they're sort of hitting the same audiences, the same people and get the same data back. So, I think at some point, I hope at some point that a lot of the players in the industry you know, on all angles are just going to go, you know what, to sort of paraphrase Ben Franklin, like, you know, we shall all hang together or we shall all hang separately. Actually, so, I think that was Thomas Paine, not uh, not um, Ben Franklin, but oh, I could be wrong. Okay. <laughs> just bringing my little Boston native uh, view to the yeah. table. <laughs> sure. But anyway, we you did. Bostonians know. We, we, we digress. This unification of the ad market, it sounds like it amongst them, so, so that a single buy um, is, is uh, it's possible to make that single buy. It seems like a really critical component, doesn't it? One of the things that you said I, I thought was very interesting in the paper was you sort of likened the position that the big three are moving into as being kind of like the, having the same sort of power that the MVPDs did in their heyday and which is of course rapidly (laughs) fading um but that that is it seems like this that they have to cooperate if they are to move into that position don't you think oh i agree i agree i mean if you look at the mvpds you know in retrospect if they had coordinated i mean how many times did comcast try and get 
the other MVPDs to all work together to make set top box data a thing. And then, then nobody, nobody would work with them. And then it was too late. Right. Um, so I think this is a similar instance where if they can say, Hey, yo, we control, and it doesn't just have to be those three. They can, you know, they could bring in Sony, they could bring in Roku if they want Amazon, but saying like, Hey, we control, you know, we control the majority of the market. We've got the hardware we have, you know, we have the measurement data, you know, and we'll we'll let you buy your ads on on streaming. We can measure across. And the other key thing is, you know, it's going to take a good 10 years for linear, you know, traditional linear TV to sort of do its slow fade, if not longer. Right. So all the advertisers have to deal with the fact that some of their audience is on linear, some is on streaming. They're not, you know, one to one. But the OEMs can actually measure both because they just measure what's on the glass so they can sort of they can actually help them track that alan i'd like to ask you a little bit more about the um the revenue forecast that you shared in the report yeah and um you know obviously with these types of forecasts there are lots and lots of different assumptions embedded in whatever the output is maybe you could just walk us through the top line of what your revenue forecast is for the big three and share some of what you feel are the, you know, some of the key assumptions when you built the model. Yeah, sure. So we had predicted, like I said before, a 4.5 X growth. So it currently is around 1.37 billion this year, going up to 6.17 billion in 2026. And we, had, you know, we're assuming a fairly similar uh, increase in users. So it was an overall increase of 116% from, you know, 43.8 million households this year to 93.2 million in 2026. Um, And also an increase in the number of hours streamed overall as streaming becomes more popular. So going from 9.4 billion now to 16.5 billion in 2026 which is an increase of 76 percent so sort of basing it on that that you're going to see more people watching you know with the smart tvs and, and using that as their main interface and then also just an increase in the number of hours people are spending on streaming overall as viewing you know starts to slowly shift which then allows the oems to start charging more money higher cpms because you're getting a targeted audience and you're getting a bigger audience. So those were those sort of were the key assumptions that we were making there. So probably we should talk about Fasts and uh, the free ad supported streaming TV services yeah. that each of the top three have launched. They all yes. have them now built into their televisions. And, and it seems to me like they are the critical part of that revenue generation mum, yeah. number that you're talking about and the viewing number. So why don't you just talk a little bit about how fast is so important to this ecosystem? Yeah, I mean, they've all, they all sort of said, hey, like, you know, we can give viewers something to watch right out of the box. Like, all you have to do is hook up the internet and boom, you're golden. And they've all been seeing a really big increase in the amount of time that people are spending with their fast. I know Samsung had a number where recently, uh, where they're saying that they they find that people are spending about an equal amount of time on ad supported as they are on on non ad supported, so I think yeah there's there's this sense with the fast that a lot of it is just gosh I I don't want to sit down and pay my full pay full attention to some series or I don't want to spend money on yet another streaming service. 
here's all these great shows that I know and like that I can just kind of lean back and watch while I'm doing something else. And, and that's a lot. Or sometimes people just don't want to pick. I mean, they're all, they're all that sort of linear-like feed, too, where it basically recreates, you know, the bulk of cable television, which was, you know, for its most part, you know, showing reruns and getting ad revenue for it. That was the business model. So it's recreating that. And people are just like, you know what? I don't want to have to choose every time I turn on the TV. Like, I don't want to have to choose every single show. And it's funny, Spotify had found something very similar to this, where they found that their playlists were incredibly popular. Cause people are like, you know what? I like my music, but sometimes just pick for me because I have other things to do. And it just, you know, like too many decisions. Um, and so I think that's going to be a huge, huge factor in all this. And it's integrated you know, as, as it becomes easier because the, you know, the pay services and the other fast are integrated with the, you know, the watch watch freeze and the LG TV and all that um, just becomes easier to sort of stay on that streaming screen and, and bop around there rather than have to go back to your set top box, you know, change inputs and all that, which, you know, which can be time consuming and you have to find the other remote and people just seem to like it. And uh, Alan, maybe we could just follow up on that uh, just a little bit further. Um, I'm curious with these FAFs and the big three, can you share any more detail about kind of what the relationship, the business relationship is between the FAFs and the big three? Who's paying who and how do, how do those deals work? Oh, well, they all have their own, you know, they all have their own services. Some of them were originally powered by some of the other, you know, some of the main players like Pluto and Zumo, have, you know, have sort of stu- stood up some of the fast for those guys, but it was what was white labeled and branded and yeah, they're licensing the content from whoever, you know, from whoever is selling it. Um, right now, none of them have any originals, but they, you know, and then they're selling, they're selling ad revenue off of it, but there's a whole lot of programming, both TV series and movies that's, you know, that's been produced over the last, you know, 40, 50 years that's out there that, you know, has a fan base, and, you know, especially a lot of, I don't niche, you know, niche channels where you can stand up a Teletubbies channel for kids or, you know, or a horror channel for adults. And there's a lot of stuff that people want to watch that they don't find on the mainstream services either. Right. So there's there's a lot of that, too, that they're able to, you know, to find their own channel. And then there's also, you know, they're, they've also started bringing in news. You know, a lot of the news services are giving them. You know, it, if not a live feed, then sort of recap feeds. And, and that that's enough for a lot of people. It's just like, hey, I can, you know, I can see a recap of what went down. And so they're really, you know, basically they're, they're just monetizing that and paying licensing fees. Got it. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. And we're recording here on Thursday morning. And as we mentioned in our news segment at the beginning, Big news today, Thursday, is that Amazon will be releasing its own line of TVs. Um, I'm really interested. That seems that you know that seems to be a key movement. Uh, how does that fit in with your findings in the paper? Yeah, I mean, it just seems to show you know prove that Amazon is also thinking. Okay, you know, dongles slowly fading out, TVs slowly fading in, and we should get a piece of this because it's you know it's a higher margin. Than the dongles, and it also keeps people in our ecosystem a little bit stronger. I mean, the most interesting thing about that to me is so they they they're called you know they have two lines that they're introducing the Omni and I think the other one is called the 4S and 
TCL, surprisingly, has a, also has a line called the 4S. So while Amazon hasn't said who's making the TVs, I think you can probably do the math on that one. And then the question is, is that at the expense of Roku, which has a lot of deals with TCL, or is it additive? Um, is TCL just sort of come out with a whole new line and say, yeah, we'll, we'll make these for you too, Amazon. Um, and it just, you know, I think that they're looking at it. They have IMDB TV, which just rolls off the tongue. It's there. It's there. It's there fast. And they're looking at, you know, at, at, you know, what are, what are some ways that we can monetize this? And they also, Amazon also has a channel store, a huge channel store business, which, um, you know, They've been getting some pushbacks from the likes of HBO, but there's plenty of other, you know, smaller services that they're selling there. And I think they probably figure, okay, it's easier to do this if we own the TV. Absolutely. And um, Alan, I think we are about at the end of our time. But before we let you go, I do want to make sure I issue you an apology because I absolutely stand corrected. While we were while we were chatting, I Googled the line about everyone hanging together and you are right. It is actually, it is Ben Franklin who said that. It was not Thomas yeah. Paine. Thomas Paine was uh, more famous for common sense. And um, and so I spoke too soon and just wanted to clarify right. the record there. You, oh, you, are the you. Ben, you. you are the Ben Franklin scholar among us, even though I, I did read the book, the Isaacson book, but it's been some time. Okay, and I got that from Liberty's Kids, so. (laughs) (laughs) Last comment, Alan. Uh, Give us a time frame. When do you think this will all play out? 10 years? Is that the time frame we're looking at? 2032, when dongles will finally have disappeared? Yeah, I think so. I think that you have a lot of people who have their, you know, who have their smart TV, you have a, have a five or six year old smart TV and, and are going to make it last for 10 years, right? I mean, the average is six or seven years, but that's sort of the center point. So you have plenty of people who are going to keep a TV for 10 years and or longer. And, you know, unless unless some something on the order of, you know, the difference between SD and HD happens, which, you know, I don't really know what that could be, but but, I don't, you know. Um, I think people will hold on to their TVs for a while. So it'll be a long, slow fade. But, you know, I think you'll see more and more people realizing going to the same thing, going to their neighbor's house and going, oh, wow, look at this. That's that's the interface, you know, on your Vizio. And even down to the remotes, like all three of them now have recently rolled out remotes that don't have numbers on them. You know, don't have those number keys. They look like, you know, a streaming TV remote. And that's that's huge. And so I think, you know, There'll be some momentum to it, but, you know, and I think the other piece that we had talked about is it's going to be really tough for somebody like Google to break into the market now with their streaming device because you have, you know, the the people who like streaming devices have sort of already committed to Roku or Amazon and probably not looking to replace them in a hurry. And then you also have the smart TVs competing. And then, but you do have the international market, which is huge, where, you know, that that that's a, that's a whole other discussion. Alan, have have the last word and tell our listeners, share with our listeners how they can download this complimentary report. Okay, they can just go to tdrev.com, tdrev.com, and you'll see a big banner on there and an article about it. And you just click on it; it's free. Where it says enter an amount, we we tell you to enter zero, but I remind people to enter zero. Um, 
and then it's yours. You get a PDF. So courtesy of our sponsors, which are Samsung, LG, and Vizio. And we will be including a link to that sign up when we publish this. Alan, thank you so much for spending time with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it, guys. And thanks for your help on this, too. Absolutely. And again, Alan, my thanks. And thanks, everyone, for listening in on this week's edition of Inside the Stream. And we'll see you all again next week. Inside the Stream is a production of Endscreen Media and Video News, all rights reserved.